0: Are listening to the Patriot Pastors podcast, where we talk about today's issues from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. Pastors Wade Lentz and Harold Smith are your hosts, and now let's get started. All right, welcome to the Patriot Pastors Podcast. I'm Wade Lentz, pastor of Barrel Baptist Church, and I'm joined with my friend
1: Harold Smith, pastor of Lee Creek Baptist Church in Van Buren. It is good to be face-to-face, Wade. Yes, you know, normally we do this through Zoom,
0: but today you're here in uh, my church at Barrel Baptist Church, and we also have uh, a guest host with us, uh, Alan Nelson, pastor, teacher, author, Pastor of Second Baptist Church in Perryville, Arkansas. Alan, you've wrote uh, how many books now? Uh,
2: two, published two. two. Yeah, yeah. Her- Harold's uh, sitting on a third one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's the name of those books?
2: Um, the first one was From Death to Life: How Salvation Works, and then in twenty nineteen, published uh, Before the Throne: Reflections on God's Holiness.
0: Very good, and they're very good books. We'll put those uh, how you can order those books in the comments below. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about something that, uh, you know, for me being raised in church, I was always uh, attending church meetings, revival meetings. Twice a year, we would have a spring revival meeting. Then we would have a fall revival meeting. And the subject that we're speaking of today is, are revival meetings biblical? And really what I would say is, where have they gone? Because it would be very difficult to be a Southern Baptist evangelist today because so many churches are not holding meetings anymore. So that's that's our topic today.
1: Yeah, not just because of COVID regulations, but young preachers just see the old revival meeting as being something Grandpa did. And uh, I'm like you. I grew up, you know, spring was in the air and there were revival meetings in Baptist churches and a man would show up who was called evangelist, not like the one in Pilgrim's Progress, but this one had five suits, five sermons, and told them all, preached them all multiple times. We'd start on a Sunday morning, and then we would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. I would say you don't really have a biblical precedent for that, and I would also say that the biblical pattern for an evangelist is probably more like a missionary church planner, church strengthener, exhorter. But I, I do know some great evangelists who really do the Lord's work and are blessing and a benefit to the church. And I'm not trying to say all evangelists fit into that. But Alan, would you agree the the traditional Baptist
2: revival is pretty much becoming a thing of the past? Yeah, it seems to be. And there's nothing wrong and none of us would uh, would disagree with this? There's nothing wrong with preaching, and there's nothing wrong with the church gathering. In fact, we're going to talk about that all in this episode. I think the problem is, um, and not everybody even thinks this, but the fact that we can. Some think that this is what revival is. It's not biblical revival. You know, you you can't you can't manufacture what what we've seen is revival in the Bible, and also revival in in church history. Uh, it does seem to be a thing of a past. Maybe in some ways that's bad or sad. Maybe in other ways, like we'll talk about in this episode, that could be good because instead of having that um, mindset, we can push more towards biblical and historical ways that uh, that churches meet. Mm-hmm. I, I have a good friend, and he always makes this
1: emphasis. He has a spring revival and a fall revival, and he always says in the title Meeting for revival. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're planning out a revival. Mm-hmm. They're meeting and hoping to be revived. Mm-hmm. And, and that may sound like, well, that's really no big deal. That's just, but no, actually he's saying we can't plan and orchestrate a revival. But I think it might have been G. Campbell Morgan or somebody said, you can't have a revival, but you can set your sails right. mm-hmm. for the winds of the Spirit to you know to catch or something along those lines. So well, I'm a proponent of churches
2: meeting. And preaching yeah. Revival centered around preaching, isn't it? So none, none, none of us going to complain about that.
1: Sure, yeah. sure. So why would churches be averse to having revival meetings nowadays? I mean, I, I know in my own line of thinking, it seems to me that there's just a, less, a lack of commitment across the board in churches. And somebody says, I'm going to plan a revival and expect people to show up on Monday mm-hmm. night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. And that can be discouraging if you plan one yes. and nobody shows up.
0: Yeah, I, to me, that's the biggest reason is that we're living in the day of uh, athletics and baseball tournaments and all these tournaments that it is very hard for a pastor to pick some specific time of the year without it conflicting with some type of a sport event. Or deer season, or or deer season for sure. So
1: I just don't want you to get I don't want to get your tongue cut out in Arkansas for not. For <laughs> when yes, you, so you don't want to you don't want to
0: do that. You want, you don't want to plan a, a meeting in October or November. That is for sure. So yeah, the lack of uh, attendance, the lack of commitment, is very discouraging for a pastor. And uh, even though that the, the mindset of the meeting is, to, is supposed to usher in encouragement. But for the pastor who sees 20% of his church show up, it is detrimental. It's very discouraging. So I think that's one big reason why many churches are just not doing that.
1: Yeah. Now, before we look at some biblical and historical accounts of church meetings, I don't want to try to defend and mandate the Sunday through Wednesday revival or that you need to bring in an evangelist but I do want to give you some reasons for meeting outside of your regular Sunday and Wednesday service times. And um, they used to call these protracted meetings. If you read a lot of uh, history, they'll say so-and-so church held a protracted meeting that lasted from Friday to Thursday the following week or something like that. These meetings outside of the regular time frame, and since I am a Real Baptist preacher. I have alliterated them very quickly. Huh. Fellowship of the saints. A meeting outside of the regular church service allows people from other churches to come and hear preaching together, sing together, fellowship together. Finding churches. Uh, a lot of times people will say, do you know a church in Beryl or or in Valonia or in Perryville or in Van Buren? And I, you know, I don't just say, yeah, get the phone book out, look under Baptist, and then just go to attend one. No, I like to send them to a church where I personally know the pastor, I know the doctrine. I wouldn't be able to formulate that if I hadn't attended a few meetings outside of my own service. So, I need to just
2: interject. A, yeah. a phone what? Just to clarify.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. You're under the age of 40. We used to have phone mm-hmm. books. Mm. Uh, now you would say Google it. Oh, okay. Google. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I you got, got it. it. Okay. okay. So fellowship of the saints, find churches, figure out doctrine. You can throw out issues, and maybe not doctrinal issues, maybe practical issues. In these kind of settings where you have a collection of saints, you may have a collection of preachers. um, You can have a question and answer time, or you can even assign topics, doctrinal topics, to preach on, uh, so you can figure out doctrine. You can fill out preachers. Find your next pastor. Maybe you can find a preacher that might fit in a vacant church somewhere. Maybe you could find, um, you could just kind of fill out who the other preachers are in the area. Funnel support. There are times in which you would get together and say, we have a great need here. It may be some specific task or some specific thing. You could get together and all the churches collectively, all the saints collectively could take up an offering for a specific cause. Or lastly, fund missions. A lot of churches have mission conferences where missionaries that are in the states will come by and share their work. And those are just six quick reasons why you should meet outside of just Sunday and Wednesday and include other churches, other preachers, other Christians, maybe even a handful of lost people and -hmm. let them see how Christians really interact. And uh, so I think there's a need for that. I think there's some benefits for that. I think those benefits are... Biblical. Is there anything you guys want to add to that?
2: Yeah, I want to I wanna say no. You better
1: start with F. Yeah, free (laughs) James Coates.
2: All right. (laughs) That gives us seven. So uh yeah, we ought to be praying for that, brother. But um you know, what I would wanna say is that we not only is it not only is it biblical, I would argue it's necessary. Now that's hard for Baptists to hear because we rightly and we'll die on this hill. The local church is autonomous, and you can't tell us what to do. But we've let that mentality float into a a staunch independency where we think we don't need other churches. Yeah, Well, that's foolish. That's Mm. not biblical. That's not historical. Now, I understand there might be a situation where there are churches literally on an island, but, uh, but we need one another. And I, and I, and I said, you know, cause James Coates is on my mind and I mentioned him. This, that's an, a perfect example of persecution that's happening. Our churches need one another and we, and, and, and at least for prayer and support yeah. and to be there when, when things like this happen. So anyway, um, I would just, I would just argue, I would just push, not only is it like biblically acceptable, I would say there's a necessity In local churches given providence and prudence to to do this
1: it will benefit your church to meet with other churches if you isolate yourself you end up inbreeding in other words the only people that, that you have any interaction with the only preachers you come you have come out of your own church this is not the biblical model paul recommended preachers to churches and john recommended preachers to churches and we should be able to take people from outside of our own. In other words, the church family tree shouldn't be a cane pole.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: There are multiple local churches and they should interact with one another. Matter of fact, why don't you just share with us a biblical example of churches interacting with other
2: churches? Sure. So, you know, we obviously have Acts 15. Uh that's a big one and a lot of people try to try to use that and that is a good one that is but there's this I say obscure but you know you read the end of Paul's letters sometimes and you don't get excited about preaching those cuz there's there oh, you know this and that but listen to what we learn at the end of Colossians 4. And at the end of Colossians 4 I'll start in verse 12 just to give us a little bit Uh, of context. And and Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now, that's just so that's not much that you would say, well, I'm not excited about preaching that. But you guys know what we learned from that? This church in Colossae was in regular communication and, dare I say, fellowship mm-hmm. with these other churches. Heropolis, because Epaphras knew the, the brothers at Colossae and Laodicea and Heropolis. How could Paul know them so well that he says, and later he's going to say Take this letter that I write to you and, and make sure it's read at it, Laodicea. Yeah. These churches were walking so closely together that Paul can write to one church and encourage them and say, Hey, don't forget about talking to these other churches. That, you know, I told my church, actually, I was teaching on this a little bit last night Well, it's fresh on my heart, but I told our church, wouldn't it be Houston is a, is a church just down the road from us? Wouldn't it be horrible if someone wrote us a letter, a missionary wrote us a letter and said, Hey, be sure and take this to Houston too. And we didn't know anybody there. Yeah. Well, that would be horrible. But there are, I think, situations like that in the Baptist world. Today. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Paul, the book of Galatians
1: is written to the churches of Galatia. All the churches in that region interacted. Did John write seven copies of the book of Revelation? Or <laughs> did he write one and circulate it through seven churches? Mm-hmm.
2: And that's- it's important to note, you know, that's a good point for Baptist polity too. He didn't send it to a presbytery. He didn't send it to some sort of archbishop.
1: You mean the Baptist news didn't get that article (laughs) and post it?
2: He sent it to the local churches, yet he's able to coordinate this. And the reason is because these local churches aren't on an island. They're in communication and they're in um, uh, communion uh, with one
0: another. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is that that I gather from that the how much that is helpful for them to have that community, that togetherness, because they're living in a, in a day and time where there's persecution.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: there is this uh, mindset of uh, we're coming yes. against you if you don't bow down to Caesar. Well, that's the same aspect that we're talking about here, how important it is for us to to gather together, not just as one particular local church, but as a gathering of local churches so that we have this camaraderie of hey we're in this together and and we're going to be praying for you and your church as as persecution begins to, to ramp up so that aspect of it is also a is is very healthy another aspect of having different meetings throughout the year in your church is that it is also healthy for your church to hear from other pastors who also believe what you believe, and uh, sometimes um, that's good. Uh, churches think, well, my pastor—he's the only one that believes this, and he's the only one that teaches this. But you bring in other men who teach and believe the same thing you do. That is very healthy for your church, and and and. and that's why I am a proponent of, of having church meetings.
1: That that breaks the I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. Mm-hmm. No one preacher has it all figured out. God has gifted a multitude, a plethora of men to share his word, all of them with different strengths and different weaknesses. And while everyone ought to sit under a pastor who is their regular teacher, the church should benefit, each individual church should benefit from other gifted men like Paul says, if so and so come unto you, receive
2: him, for he is profitable unto me in the ministry. So, well, I would say I would just add to that: not only members, but it's good for pastors yeah. to hear other pastors. You yeah. know, yes. And uh, and I would say this: I know I, I, I anticipate. I don't know your listening audience, but I anticipate maybe some of them say. Well, that's what we got podcasts for and all that. Now listen, I think we, we should in- encourage our, our members. Hey, listen to this sermon, listen to that. And that is good. And I, we should use technology in that way. But we all know it's not the same. It's no. not the same. We need to sit under preaching mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and be there physically. And so pastors could use uh, the preaching of the word as well. Absolutely. This podcast would not exist today
1: if it were not for meetings outside of the Sunday. Wade, how do you and I meet? Do you remember?
0: Yeah, at a Bible conference. At a Bible conference? Yes.
1: Wade, how did you and Alan meet? At a Bible conference.
2: That's right. (laughs) Who was
1: hosting the Bible conference?
2: Harold Smith. Wow. The Harold Smith. Wow.
1: So if you're listening to this and you're about to pull your hair out and who are these three idiots, you can blame a Bible conference at Lee Creek Baptist Church for this exact podcast, this episode of this podcast. But that time together, not just hearing preaching, not just singing together, but sitting around the table eating a meal together is how the three of us became friends, how we ended up from that point on um, befriending one another, staying in contact with one another to the point that we sit in the church library around a microphone in Barrel Baptist Church and share our thoughts on this. We wouldn't do that if this were not beneficial and we didn't want to encourage pastors to hold meetings and church members to attend meetings outside of Sunday
2: morning, Sunday
1: night, Wednesday night. Mm-hmm.
2: We gotta get out of this mentality of those churches down the road are in competition with us. You know? Yes. We're afraid we're afraid sometimes because we feel like we're all competing for this limited number of people. That is not how the Lord wants to see his churches. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Yeah. And right. so the, the church is right. because we're in union with Christ. We ought to also be able to have some tangible, not just like, hey, we're on the same team, but there ought to be some tangible expression. Now, we'll have to draw some lines, obviously, but with those churches that we're like-minded with and um, we, we ought to be able to, to have tangible yeah mm-hmm. partnership.
0: Harold... Historically speaking, when you look back at these meetings that we're talking about, conferences, special meetings, historically from the Baptist perspective, do you have any insight in that? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Baptists have always been a communal people, even beyond the local church. Um, Alan can talk more about the 1689 uh, meeting, but... I always go back to the great awakening, George Whitfield preaching throughout the colonies. Um, he would preach out in the open fields because that's the only people that, that's the only way he could handle the crowds. And then churches, pastors would come and to hear George Whitfield would meet each other, become friends. They would be holding meetings together. You have a lot of accounts in New England of Baptist preachers getting together, having joint services on Saturdays having joint services throughout the week where they would all come together and share their faith. And of course, you find a lot of instances where Baptist churches would get together and discuss doctrine or discuss missions. Um, I just think about William Carey being sent to India. You know, he wasn't sent by one individual church fully funding all that. He was sent by a collection of Baptist churches uh, in England. Alan... You have mentioned to me earlier about, uh, the 1689. Was it a, a convention, a meeting? What did they call it? I think
2: it? it's called the 1689 General Assembly of Particular Baptist Churches. So I like abbreviate that, name. that. That's a, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot. But, the uh, but, uh, and you know, this is regardless of you, if you like the 1689 confession or not. I, I do, but it's, uh, this is about a historical understanding that they believed if you read chapter 26 of that confession, verse, uh, sorry. Chapter 26, uh, paragraphs 14 and 15, it talks about not just the good idea of churches cooperating together, but churches being in communion together. Um, and so you can see that mindset. But as they met, they would meet and they and some of these purposes that you laid out, that was w- why they met. They would ask um, people would submit letters and they would ask questions of these churches for example, they ask, when is a person justified? There's something wrestling through. Is it, did, were they justified when Jesus died on the cross? You know, and the assembly comes back and says, well, no, um, it is finished on the cross. But you're not justified until, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone in time. They ask them questions like, well, what if two churches don't have pastors? Can those churches unite? Is that okay? And then call a pastor or whatever? And they said, yeah, that's a good idea. And these, they, they had a fund. You know what's interesting is uh, tell this story real quick. What's interesting is Benjamin Keach. He's involved in that. His son's name is Elias. In sixteen, I think it's eighty six or so. Elias comes over to the United States. Right. Well, sorry, that's that's an anachronism. Comes over. He comes over to the colonies. Okay. He comes over to the colonies because we're not the United States. Right. He's not converted, mm-hmm. but he. I, I mean, we can imagine. He thinks that he will get some notoriety because his dad's famous. Mm-hmm. He's preaching this sermon in uh, in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a little church around, or actually it's not even a church because they helped find the church, but it's, it's near Philadelphia. And he preaches and how would you like to get saved under your own sermon? Right. Essentially, that's what happens. Either he gets saved right there or it's a few days later. Yeah, this is convicted. a lot. Yeah, he gets convicted from his own sermon, you know? Yes. yes. Okay, but what's important about that is, He is – now, the Philadelphia uh, Association doesn't start to – 1707. Yeah, but he's – and he's already left back to England by that time. But he's a major – instrument in that because his dad believed in it he's here he's preaching he becomes pastor I can't remember it was like Pentepeck Baptist Church or whatever Pentepeck Pentepeck that's it he uh, pastors there and he is a big time influencer of hey all our churches in the the area we need to be associated we need to be getting together and they do and they have different just like what we're talking about different preachers You know, singing, you know, um, I'm not sure about meals, but if they're Baptist, I'm sure they They
1: did. They discussed missions. They took up collections for the purpose of propagating the gospel, publishing materials. I mean, the 1742 Philadelphia Baptist Confession was printed by Benjamin Franklin.
2: and Yeah, that's right.
1: But the money came not from one church, but from a collection of churches who wanted to make it very well known. This is what we believe. And so, biblically, yes, there is grounds for this. Historically, yes. In the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s 1800s were littered with it. I mean, um, Charles Spurgeon would preach outside of his church throughout the week. Um, So you, you you have this happening with the early Baptists in the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s. Well, what has happened today? We're getting away from that, and one of the things we have seen an increase of is the large scale conferences. You know, like a G three conference, a Shepherds conference. Can you think of any other? I'm not that young and cool and don't go to them.
2: Well, so. there's just big. They're all over the place doctrinally too. You know, but like T four G, T four Gs, the other, yeah, the Gospel Coalition conference, all sorts of, you know, big. Pre COVID, these things were. Big, you could Ligonier, several thousand people. Living Conference. Conference, yeah. You could go to, you could go to Desiring God. You know all these huge, huge meetings. Yeah,
1: and, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to run them down, but there, this needs to. These joint meetings or collective meetings of churches and and preachers doesn't need to be relegated to just hey, we're all going to meet at a convention center in Atlanta for four days. It still needs to be taking place on the local church level where a pastor in his congregation decide, hey, we're going to meet on a Saturday or, or whatever on a Monday night. And we're going to invite a couple of preachers to come in and we're going to have a discussion and, and we're going to have fellowship. That's I, I want to encourage young preachers. You may not be okay with having an old evangelist come in you know, in his 80s with his suits and his old sermons and start on Sunday morning and go to Wednesday night. If you're not okay with that, that's fine. Do a one-day conference on Saturday Mm -hmm. or do a Friday night, Saturday conference. Do something where you engage other Christians, where you encourage other preachers, maybe where you just educate people on missions, or maybe you have a question and answer and you discuss social justice warriors and wokeism and all the stuff that we see today. All of those things can be worked out. Maybe you let some young preachers preach. Yeah. Nothing will encourage old people like realizing that there are other young preachers who are going to carry the torch after they're
2: gone. Mm-hmm. And they're never gonna they're never gonna learn to preach. You can sit in a school all day long and I'm a hundred percent supportive of, of seminary you can sit in a class all day long, you can learn, you can read about preaching, but you don't really, really learn to preach in your, you're each one of us gifted in our own ways yes, Till yes. you preach. Right. And, and I tell several, you. Several, several times. That's right. Yeah. And, and how encouraging. And
1: conferences need young people. There's nothing more discouraging than to go to a conference and you're the only man in there without a full head of gray hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more discouraging than going to a conference full of grandpas. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, well. Why didn't these preachers produce any preachers? And if they did, why are they not here with them? Mm -hmm. I've been in a few conferences, and I'm not young. I guess you'd call me, am I middle age? I'll be 46 in a a month or so. I know, Alan. (laughs) You're the young preacher that we're hoping to encourage everyone (laughs) our age and (laughs) older. But what I'm saying is there's nothing more discouraging than going to a group of preachers, and they're all a bunch of old men running in the same
2: old circle.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, and I think uh, you know a a thing is we we bemoan celebrity culture, but in in, uh, a celebrity Christian culture, I'm saying. And but the problem is sometimes we we help perpetuate that as as pastors, you know, because we just think, well, this isn't going to be unless we get this guy to come in, this isn't going to be any good, Mm -hmm. you know. And so we want to be careful. And again, you you guys, I'm I'm not opposed to that. I love that kind of stuff when we can, when it's appropriate. But you, we need to we need to let other. Here's what we don't want to do sometimes. I think as pastors, we don't want to let our people listen to this other guy preach cuz man, he might be better preacher than we are, you know? <laughs> and uh, in 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 that something and we don't yeah. want to do that, but what we need to do is create an environment where we say, "Look, guys, we each have our separate independent autonomous yeah. local Baptist church. This church has its authority, its membership, its its discipline. No other church is allowed to to, yeah. you know, get involved in that as far as, you know, authority." But uh, but we can also come together, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, if if we act like churches, we don't ever need advice. The problem is we're always just running to these big wigs or Lifeway or something. You know what? I listen to the advice of Wade and Harold. Well, maybe to my detriment, but I listen <laughs> to the advice of Wade and Harold because I know that they're men in the trenches with me, and they're dealing with the same right. things that I'm dealing with in a similar culture. By the way, you want to listen to a, a pastor's advice sometimes. From a, from say, I'm in the South in a rural area, but he's in, he's in a different context in a business. He's big in city. inner city Chicago. Yeah. The, uh, you know, there's some transcendent truths, obviously, but there's also some practical shepherding wisdom that, that can be culturally uh, specific at times. And we need, so what I'm, I'm arguing for and what you guys are too is a geographical uh, association. Yeah, you're onto something. Yeah. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. here's the thing: you can fly in the best preachers from around the world, and you can draw a great big crowd of people to hear them. But I think the real work of a conference is done when it's all men from the same geographic region that don't fly in first class, but drive in in their their minivan full of uh, car seats that the the wife is driving their truck back and forth to work because. They needed the one car that was travel-worthy enough to get to the conference. Those guys who are making a sacrifice to be there, even if they're not preaching, they appreciate the fellowship. They appreciate the time with other Christians. They appreciate the, the messages that are heard, as opposed to the guy that makes his living traveling around with a suit and tie, you know, telling encouraging messages. And so I enjoy and, you know, just full disclosure, we host a conference every year. We have two a year, actually. But one of them, we don't ever advertise it. We don't publicly tell people we're having it. And the people that preach in it, you've never heard of them. Mm-hmm. Well, unless you unless you know, you know, and are from the area. Mm-hmm. And people will call and go, hey, I heard you have a conference. Who's preaching? And I'll say, 10 uh, of the best preachers you've never heard of. Well, give me an example. And they're wanting me to give out some big name, you know, and I'll I'll just say, well, it's Alan Nelson, Al- Alan N- Nelson. Where- now is he from San Antonio? And I'll be like, no, he's from Perryville. Perryville, what? That's Perryville, Arkansas, oh. just down
2: the road from Toad Suck.
1: Yeah, just down the road from Toad Suck, and. Uh, They'll be like, uh, okay, well, who else you got? And I'll be like, uh, Wade Lentz. <laughs> you know, and they're like, Wade He's Lentz. He's on the other
2: side of Tony's and, talking
1: to And they're like, Carl Lentz? I'm like, no, Wade Lentz. <laughs> that's
2: my
1: cousin. And uh, and so anyway, well, where's he from? Oh, he, he pastors Barrel Baptist Church in Valonia. And they're like, yeah, okay. Well, hey, maybe next year we can make it. And that's okay. If you're coming to hear a celebrity preach, this is the wrong conference for you. But if you are coming to have fellowship with like-minded brothers to be encouraged by a church that loves pastors, uh, to share Christian fellowship, and all of that stuff would be there and available. But if churches don't take it upon themselves to do that, then those are going to be rare finds and not commonplace like they have been for the last, well, ever since Baptists have been publicly Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the scene, they've done these conferences.
2: You know, one of the things you said is about funneling support. And, you know, my heart was just, gripped when I read some of the stuff that the 1689 assembly did, they actually supported pastors with, they had churches in the association help support pastors, you know, and I want to say something else historically in that assembly in the 1700s, 1800s as well. Churches also helped churches. Uh, Now I'm not saying, you know, if a church wants like, man, I need money to get a new laser light. Okay. That's a problem. But sometimes stuff happens, you know, Wade, we was talking about here. Uh, goodness, it's been seven years ago now that tornado, you know, came mm-hmm. through Valonia. Sometimes natural disasters happen under the, the, the sovereign hand of God and we need one another. You know, sure. if something happens at Perryville, I'm blessed right now to know that I don't have to send a letter off to Washington or Maine or, uh, you know, wherever and say, Hey guys, help us. I know people in my geographical area that I, that know me, yeah, and say, "Okay, this is a legit situation, and we want to help you." And historically, Baptist churches—not only historically, biblically—you remember what happens at the churches of Judea? There's a famine, right? And Paul writes a letter, or he writes, you know, in in Second Corinthians, for example. It's so funny in chapters eight and nine, but he is uh, he he's on them. He's saying, "Hey, the Macedonians gave." They gave out of their poverty. Mm-hmm. You guys told me you'd give, so I'm gonna go ahead and send this little envoy ahead of me, and uh, they're gonna get what you promised that you're gonna give. Yes. So that
1: that That's goes good. back to the filling out of preachers. Uh, we had a we had a preacher in our conference that our church got to know. He's planting a church in another town. We send a group of people down there to remodel a sanctuary. Wade, your church sent a group of people down mm-hmm. there to paint the outside of the building. Right. All of that cooperation took place by a friendship that was found out in a collection of meet, of preachers meeting outside of the regular day to day thing. So look, if you're not doing this and you're a pastor, what's the matter with you? That, that's really, I mean, why wouldn't you do this? Well, preacher, I don't think my people would get behind it. Listen to me. God's people love to do what God has instructed them to do. Mm-hmm. You just teach them very plainly and, And specifically, this is what the early churches, churches, plural, did. And this is what churches today should be doing. And plan small. Plan it so small that you and your wife can cook all the food for it, Mm -hmm. that you can pay for the preachers out of your own pocket. Well, I don't have that much. Go mow the neighbor's yard three times. You got a hundred bucks. Pay the guy that comes in. Do all this. Do it out of your own pocket. And the Lord will bless you for it. If you yeah. if you start small and your people, the first time we held a conference, our people were like, I don't know why we're doing this. We're going to be here tomorrow, and it's Saturday. And then all of a sudden, we had a meeting, and they were like, wow, that was really good. And then the next year, preacher, when are we going to have that meeting again? And now here we are, eight or ten years later, and our people are saving money all year to help pay for the conference. Yes.
2: Well, yes. I think there's a temptation for some to be listening, I'm a Southern Baptist. And there's some be listening saying, Oh, Harold, we do this. We're Southern Baptist. And what they mean is they're just, they send money in the cooperative program. That's not what we're talking about. No, we're not talking about sending your check to the cooperative program. We're talking about physically getting together with other churches. So I just want to be clear about that because there can be that mindset. Well, I send my check to some missionary agency. or.
1: Or the state, you know, the state has a meeting once a year. Yes. Yeah, but that's still your responsibility as a local church. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to be reaching out to the churches who are like you in your area. You need to know who the pastors around you are. You need to fellowship with them. Your church needs to fellowship with them. Hey, look, something's going to happen to you one day. And if your congregation is not acquainted with some preachers, then they're going to go down to the local Baptist Association and trust that guy to send them their replacement. Yeah. And so that's really your responsibility as a pastor is to ensure that your people can find somebody to replace you when you're gone. But I've been here five years and they ain't reached out to me, Harold. Who hadn't reached out to you? the pastors around me? Oh yeah. So what should I do? Well, do what I do. Go knock on their door and say, "How are you doing? I'm Harold Smith, the pastor of the church down yeah, the road." Yeah, that's right. That's right.
2: That's all I'm saying is don't. You can't just. Sit I usually start
1: here. that conversation with, "Do you need any deacons?" Because I've got a couple. <laughs>
0: Well, you know the subject again is our revival meetings biblical. Well, we could take off the revival part and say, well, maybe so, but we can definitely say that church meetings are biblical. The gathering of local churches together for different conferences and different uh, meetings as such is helpful and healthy for your flock. And so, as uh, Harold said earlier, he encourages you if you. Have not been doing this to plan on doing something like this. It'll, it'll be a betterment to your ministry and to the ministry that uh, of, of your church there. Well, guys, it's been good, real good. Enjoyed it, and uh Alan, glad that you were able to join us today. And uh, maybe sometime Thank soon you. you can join us again.
2: Yeah, yeah. I hope so. If y'all let me back on this podcast, all yeah. right. As long as you keep agreeing with us, you can hang around. Start right. disagreeing. <laughs> Well, I appreciate what you guys do and I hope I hope that I hope that more and more continue to listen to this. A good conservative, you know, Baptist preachers. I love it. It's not
1: every day we get a big author on. I mean it's not. Ah,
2: Well you don't got one today. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, again, thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you.